Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 11, verse 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, your, your word is a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. And so would you help us this morning as we look into your word, as we see what your word would have for us this morning, and would it uh, guide our lives? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John, and I'm on the team here. And my wife, Sarah, she was the one leading worship, uh, the one trying to manage the guitar <laughs> around the belly. I thought I'd mention that because it's Mother's Day, and why not embarrass your wife, <laughs> the mother of your children on Mother's Day? You're welcome. Uh, no, seriously, I mentioned that because, as the bump suggests, my family is growing. Not Sarah, the, the, the family is growing. Uh, we have two boys and we've got a third boy on the way. And so we're very happy about that. Uh, but one of the challenges of a growing family, some of you may know, is that uh, with a bigger family comes a bigger car. Bigger car. It dawned on us earlier this year that, um, that our car was just not going to be sufficient. It wasn't going to be able to hold the three baby seats, the three car seats at the back. And so I sold a kidney and we bought, <laughs> and we bought a bigger car. It's a, it's a Honda Pilot, for those of you that are interested in. And because we're Christians, we named it Pontius. <laughs> um, uh, and Pontius has lots of cool features. It's, it's, um, one of the cool features that it has is lane assist technology. Now, this is the fanciest car that I've ever owned, and so you need to bear with me. I'm still impressed with this sort of stuff. Um, but lane assist technology, as some of you will know, is it works by alerting you when you are drifting out of the lane, right? And so as you're driving along, it's got sensors on the left and it's got sensors on the right, and it keeps you where you need to be. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the uh, Corinthians that we've been looking at, he's concluding this section in his letter, this section that began in chapter 8 and is ending today in 11 verse 1. And what I want to suggest is that his conclusion is going to act as a lane assist for us. It's going to act as a lane assist for us. You see, what we all see in this text and what we know from experience is that life is complicated. It's complicated. 
As we navigate our lives, it can be difficult to know in the complexity what the right thing is to do in a certain situation. We wish, don't we, that that life decisions were just clearly right or wrong, black and white. But it can often feel gray, can't it? Maybe, maybe, Maybe you're in a situation right now. I don't know your lives, but maybe you're in a situation right now where you're not entirely sure what the right thing is to do. What's the Christian thing to do? Not sure how to move forward. Not sure what the right response should be in the specific scenario that you find yourself in. And I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to help us this morning. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us two truths, two big theological truths, two truths about God that we are to hold on to as Christians. Two truths that mark out, as it were, the lane of the Christian life. Two truths that are going to help us navigate a complex world so we can live confidently as Christians. And these two truths are going to be, conveniently, my two points today. And so if you're taking notes, the two points this morning are, number one, everything is from God. Everything is from God. And number two, everything is for God's glory. So number one, everything is from God. And number two, everything is for God's glory. So everything is from God. The Apostle Paul has been speaking about food offered to idols, hasn't he? Right? From back in chapter Eight, going through, he's been talking about food offered to idols. And if you're like me, you didn't grow up in a context or a culture where food was sacrificed to idols. And it takes a bit of a cognitive leap, right? A bit of a cognitive leap to understand what is going on. In fact, it takes a bit of a leap to understand what is the significance of what is going on, even in this context. My wife, Sarah, she was born and raised in India. And so when we've spoken about this and when we've been talking through this text, this is something that her and her family actually had to navigate, something very similar in the context of India. You see, in Corinth, as with other cultures today, other cities today, there were lots of supposed gods, lots of idols. And these gods, they would have temples on every corner of the street of Corinth, every corner of the city, and ritual sacrifices would have been made to these gods almost on a daily basis as an act of allegiance to them, an act of worship to them. And last week we, we heard, didn't we, that, that Paul offers a very, very clear command to the Christians in the city. He says in verse 21, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. He's saying you can't be a Christian, which is symbolized here by our participation in the communion meal where we, where we eat the bread and we drink the wine as a, as a symbol of the death of Jesus on the cross. You can't be a Christian and worship the one true God and participate in, in temple sacrifices. That's worship to false gods. That's what we call idolatry, right? It's clear. It's, it's, it's black and white. It's easy. Don't go to other temples to worship other gods. It's Christianity 101. But the Corinthian life, like ours, was often more complex than that. 
You see, idol worship and all of the trimmings that go around idol worship was so intertwined with the culture of the city, it was almost impossible to live and move and have your being, to go about your day without being involved in or at least impacted by idol worship. Now, I would suggest that that's also true of us in Vancouver. It's just not as obvious. We just, the temples on each of the corner, they're just called different names. It's the same for us where it's difficult in our lives and in our jobs. It's difficult without being, to not be involved with or to be impacted by the idols of our city, the cultural idols of our city. And so pride and greed and lust and comfort are the names of our gods in Vancouver. And they're all intertwined with the, the structure of our city, the, the way in which our, our city operates. And this is the world that we live in. And so it can be difficult, can't it? I'm sure. Maybe you're going through it this week. It can be difficult to navigate not being impacted by the cultural idols of our city. And so Paul, he's going to speak to the complexity of the situation that the Corinthians find themselves in, and he's going to speak into our lives as well. And he does so by using a hypothetical scenario. It may have happened, but he says if, so it's probably a hypothetical scenario. He says in verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So here's a scenario. You're, you're at the Corinthian Costco, the meat market, or, or you've been invited to your non-Christian neighbor's dinner party. This is the scenario, but there's a problem. And the problem is that, that most of the meat in the markets or in the homes in Corinth would have originated from the idol temples, right? It's not like Vancouver where, where we get to check the label, whether to see, it's, see if it's uh, locally sourced or organic or whether indeed it actually is meat or a substitute for meat or <laughs> some sort of mushroom that doesn't taste like meat. No, no, no. The, the meat industry in Corinth was, was very simple, the meat in the market or the meat served in the homes, most of it would have originated from the idol temples and been a part of idol worship at some point. And so what do you do now, Corinthian Christian? What do you do? It just got complex. It just got more complicated. It's not so clear. It's, it's gray. You're not in the temple, but it's still temple food. What do you do? Paul says, eat it. Go for it. Enjoy it. Eat the steak. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Eat whatever is set before you. Buy the food from the Corinthian Costco with no concerns. Buy the food. Eat the food from your neighbor's dinner party. Just enjoy it, he says. Why? Why, why the change of heart? Why the change of answer? Why was, it, why was it no before and now it's yes? Why was it don't eat and now it's you can eat? Well, the, the simple answer is the misuse of something doesn't invalidate something's use. 
That's the simple answer. The misuse of something doesn't invalidate something's use. Andrew Wilson, who, who writes on 1 Corinthians, he puts it simply, the problem with idol food is the idol, not the food. Right? It's the idolatry. It's the participation in the worship. It's not the food. So because it's used in, in worship in one context, it doesn't mean that the food is like intrinsically evil, right? But actually more than that, Paul is going to step back and make a bigger theological point. And by theological, I mean a point about God, who God is. And it's this. The food at the market and the dinner party may have been understood as originating from the idol temples, but the food from the idol temples, Paul says, originated from God. Let me say that again. The food at the market and the dinner party may have been understood as originating from the idol temples, but the food from the idol temples, Paul says, originated from God. Paul says idol food, and indeed all food, is God's food. That's why he quotes Psalm 24. You notice he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's saying, it's all his. Everything is his. And this is our, as Christians, our first lane assist sensor today. The first truth that we need to hold on to, that, that everything, everything, absolutely everything is from God. And so food and drink and sex and money and music and dancing and art and everything else in between is from God. If you remember, Paul started this section in chapter 8 with an affirmation that there is one God and that everything is from him. In verse 6 of chapter 8, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. From whom are all things. Paul is simply reaffirming the first thing that we read in our Bibles. I don't know if you remember the first time you open your Bibles. This is what you do. You open it up in the first book, in the first page, in the first line you read. Because that's what you do when you pick up a book. And the first thing that you read was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything is created by God. Everything finds its origin in God. Abraham Kuyper, who was a, a Dutch theologian, famously said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. There is not one corner of your life that Jesus does not say, Mine. That God does not say, Mine. Not one thing that is not his possession. Everything is his. Everything is from God. Now, this is important. <laughs> this is important because, because some of us have, maybe we've been taught this in other contexts, or maybe we've assumed this, but sometimes we can look at the religious life as a small sphere of a list of boring activities whilst the rest of the fun stuff is the domain of the devil, right? Sex, bad. Music, bad. Drink, bad. Dancing, obviously from the devil. <laughs> Maybe some of you grew up in that context. Maybe that's where you've come from. You find yourself here today. 
The idea where, where much of what you see around you is just off limits. It's things to be avoided because fundamentally everything is just trying to get you. Everything is bad. Everything is evil. Look at what Paul says to this in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to, de to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thankfulness. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You see, Paul rejects a religion that is simply a list of prohibitions. He rejects a, a religion that is a list of things that we are to avoid. Why? Because everything is created by God. And everything created by God is good. And God generously gifts us these things in order to be received with thanksgiving. Food is not from the idol temples. Food is from God. Sex is not fundamentally sinful. It's from God. Music and dancing are not from the devil. They're from God. Christ says, we have to know this today. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is a form form of religion that holds to a narrow view of God's dominion. Narrow view of God as creator. And what it does is it begins to make good things that God has created evil. Here's the problem with that. It's not only that it ruins the good gifts that are to be received with thankfulness, it also distorts our view of the gift giver. It messes with our idea of who God is. Like food and sex and music and art are inconvenient accidents of the fall rather than beautiful components of an intentionally good and delightful creation. Christ city, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is from God. Now, here's the thing. The way lane assist technology works, as you know, is that it has to work on both sides of the car. And the reason for this is because if it didn't, in trying so hard to avoid the lane on the left, you swerve into the lane on the right. And as we'll see, that's exactly what the Corinthian church did, right? So you're at this dinner party. It's lovely. They're serving meat. You're very grateful. And you've been given permission by the Apostle Paul to just eat. And then Paul says, but. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because... Of that, which, that for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink 
or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What's going on here? Well, we have to get our heads into the context of what we've been looking at. In order for us to understand what's happening, we have to remind ourselves of the situation that the Corinthians find themselves in and the situation that Paul is addressing. In this section, Paul has been talking to a group in the church that have been arrogantly flaunting their newfound freedom and rights as Christians. This is the same group that have been uh, using the slogan, all things are lawful, right? If you remember back in chapter 6, remember back that far? Back in chapter 6, Paul quotes the slogan back to the Corinthians when he's talking about sex. And he does it again here when talking about food. This group, apparently, against maybe this oppressive religious legalism that says, don't do that and don't do this and everything's bad, They've swung to the other side of the lane of what we might call lawlessness or licentiousness. They're saying, do whatever you like. The earth is the laws and the fullness thereof. Let's just do what we like. Christ City, that sounds more like our city, doesn't it? This is the slogan of Vancouver. All things are lawful for me. We're free. Freedom means Do what we like. I think it would be accurate to say, actually, that the highest ideal of North American culture is freedom. And by freedom, we mean absolutely no restrictions on anything we do. No one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me what to do with my body. No one can tell me what to do with my life, right? Here's what Paul does. Verse 23 All things are lawful. Yeah, okay. Quoting the Corinthians back to them. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, quoting them, but not all things build up. He's saying you're free. Yeah, you're free. But there's a way to live into your freedom that's unhelpful. You're free, yes. But there is... There's a way that you're living into your freedom that is actually destructive. It's not constructive. It doesn't build up the community that you're in. It actually destroys the community. You're destroying the church. And that's exactly what has happened to the Corinthians. We've we've seen, haven't we, throughout our section in chapter 8. Firstly, they've, they've been causing their Christian brothers and sisters to stumble in sin. They've been, they've been putting a barrier in the way of the gospel of their non-Christian neighbors. And not only that, they, they themselves have found themselves caught up in idolatry. Their, their freedom has actually led to their bondage in sin. Their so-called freedom has led to them falling into sin. And so in this scenario, you are free to eat. You're free to eat at this dinner party. Just eat the steak. Because everything is from God. But, but Paul wants to qualify that freedom. And so to our first lane assist that says everything is from God, that life and creation and, and food and sex and drink and, and everything else is from God to be enjoyed with thankfulness, to this first lane assist, Paul adds, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the second lane assist. That's the second side. So number one, everything is from God. But number two, everything is for God's glory. To 
to glorify something or someone simply means to celebrate it or celebrate them. It means to, to praise their attributes and character. And in so doing, to put on display that person, to, to put them on display for others to see. And so when I say that everything is for God's glory, everything is created for God's glory, I mean that creation is designed to praise its creator. Creation is designed to, it's meant to praise its creator. It's meant to put God on display. If you think about it, my two points this morning are the bookends of the story of the Bible. Right? The opening book of Genesis makes the point that everything is from God. The first line that we read is everything is from God. Then the final book of the Bible, Revelation, shows us that everything is meant to glorify God. What we have in Revelation is a foreshadow of the end to which all things are made. Revelation 5 says this, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Christ city, you were made by God and you were made to glorify God. You were made by God. Think about that for a second. You were made by God and you were made to glorify God. If, if we were to get hold of this, if we were to hold this, there's real implications for how we live our lives. The first implication is that there is not a single area of your life that is not designed to glorify God. So mums, on Mother's Day, you know, your mothering is, is, is meant to glorify God. It's meant to put God on display. Church, you were, you were, you were given breath this morning. You woke up this morning for the, for the purpose of glorifying God. And everything you have, your, your relationships, your, your talents, your, your finances, your jobs, your families, everything you have are good gifts to be enjoyed with thankfulness, but their purpose is to glorify God. The second implication of this is that it means that there is meaning and purpose and direction to every single area of your life. You know, you know we live in a meaning crisis. Do you know that? Our young people today are told that there is no meaning in the world and that they have to figure out why they exist. And guess what? They're coming up with terrible answers or they're not coming up with any answers at all and they are left directionless. They're living in despair. They grow up with no sense of meaning or direction or purpose. They're feeling completely lost in Christ city. That will not be true of our children. It won't be true of our children because they were created by God and they were created to glorify God. Now, I think the practical question that we're faced with from our text is this. That might be True, we're meant to glorify God, but how do we glorify God? How? What, what do you actually mean? Or even, how do we know how to glorify God? You know, it might not be intuitive. 
You might be thinking it's all good and well you saying this, but but what does it what does it really mean? What does it what does it look like in my life that that all areas of my life were to bring glory to God? That that God has a claim on everything, and that in some way I could bring glory to Him. Well, I think Paul gives us a clue in verse one of chapter eleven, where Paul says, "Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ." Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you think about it, our text today, that, that, that short text is the model of Christian discipleship. Right? Paul has been saying this. He's been saying, live like this. You, you should live like this. But he's not saying it abstractly, like, like you should do this, but I'm just going to do this. He's saying, live like this as I live like this. Why? Because that's how Jesus lived. Right? Live like this as I live like this because Jesus lived like this. Live like this as imitation of me as I imitate Jesus. The New Testament authors, they were always giving instruction in the context of live like this because Jesus lived like this, right? And so when we read in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's the point. We don't decide how we glorify God. Not even Paul, not even the Apostle Paul decides how to glorify God. For, for Paul and for us, the starting point of knowing how to glorify God is God's revelation in Jesus Christ. We, we look to Jesus. And what we see in Jesus' life is joyful obedience to the Father. Is joyful obedience to the Father. And when we look at his life, when we read about his life in, in Scripture, what do we see? we see? We see verse 24 from our text. Not seeking his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We see verse 33 from our text, not seeking his own advantage, but that of many that, that we may be saved. We see Philippians, we see him humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ city, this, this is the shape of a God-glorifying life. The life and death of Jesus, a life of self-sacrificial love that gives of himself for the good of others, a life that would ultimately be lost on a cross for the sake of us. I want us to take a second to think about this because this is the scandal of what we believe. Intuitively, what would be a God-glorifying life? Wealth, status, success, stability. What do we think is a God-glorifying life? You know, God's glory was most fully expressed when Jesus hung broken 
on a bloody cross. This is where the character of God was on full display. This is where the heart of God was revealed to us. The love of God revealed to us. It's where it was most evidence. It was on the cross. At the cross, Jesus didn't fight for his rights like the Corinthians did. He laid them down for the sake of the Corinthians and for us. At the cross, Jesus didn't say, I'm free. No one should tell me what to do. Jesus says, not my will, but yours. That's where we see the glory of God on display. And we're called to imitate. We're called to imitate. The sort of life that would lay down its own rights for the sake of others that would lead even to death on a cross, we're called to imitate. That's a big point, but now Paul just applies it to a dinner party. <laughs> he says, you're free to eat. You're free to eat. But then when someone speaks up and says, I think this food has been offered in sacrifice. <laughs> maybe, maybe that being said is going to, to cross a, a brother in Christ's conscience. Or maybe it's going to hinder your gospel witness to the host that is serving the dinner. Or maybe it's going to cause you to, to fall back into some sort of idolatry. It's going to tempt you back into a former life. The question is now, not, not what you are free to do, but, but what will glorify God here? What will put God on display? What will communicate this self-sacrificial love of God that preferences the other over the self? Now, this is a silly story, but at my old church, we had an evening gathering. And then after the evening gathering, because we're English, we would go to the pub. And... Um, and it was, it was great. It was really, really fun. It was a, a wonderful time of community building. And um, it, was, it was quite formative, actually, formative years of my faith. And so we would go and we would commune as Christians. And, and, and then we would go and commune as, as uh, Londoners. Um, and, but it was, it was a, a wonderful time. And, um, and as the group grew, uh, we added to our ranks a guy who had struggled in the past with addiction issues. And so the question was, were we free to go to the pub and drink alcohol as responsible Christians? Yeah, of course we were. Of course we were. Drink is from God and it's to be received responsibly and with thankfulness. Right? Was it helpful? Was it constructive? Was it God-glorifying to still go to the pub? No. No. So we stopped. We went to the Nando's instead. <laughs> you know what? I think it communicated something of God's love for this man. That a group of Christians 
not just because he had preferences and we're accommodating to their preferences and we're just going to please this one person. No, no, no. But because we knew that, that the shape of the Christian life is preferencing the other. The life revealed to us in Christ is preferencing the other. So we didn't claim our rights and freedoms. We laid them down for the sake of the other. So Christ City, are you putting God on display? In the situations you find yourselves in, are you asking not, what am I free to do? I'm free to do this, but, but what am I made to do? Christ City, you were made to glorify God. As I end and we turn towards the communion table, I think it's important that I make a comment as we close. And it's this, the Christian life is simple in some ways. It's, it's fairly simple, it's fairly straightforward, but it's not easy. In fact, for some of us here, you may have been hearing what I'm saying, and you're trying to live the life, you're trying to live the Christian life, and you're finding it impossible, actually. It's a weight that you're finding it impossible to bear. Here's what you need to know. The story of Scripture is not just that we should glorify God, it's that by ourselves we don't glorify God. It's that we are prone in our sin to not bring glory to God. We are prone, just like the Corinthians. We're prone to live for ourselves. We're prone to not preference the other. We're prone to glorify ourselves rather than God. The effects of sin in our lives is not just that we're not able to, it's that we don't even want to. We don't want to live as we ought to. We don't want to live as we're made to. We're selfish and we're weak, and maybe, maybe you're feeling that today. If that's you, I want to say that you need to know that before you look to Jesus for his example, you have to look to him for his salvation. Before you look to Jesus for his example or something to imitate, you have to look to him for salvation. Because at the cross, we don't simply see an example of God's love for us. When we place our faith in Jesus, we experience the effects of God's love for us. Because when Jesus died, he died in order to reconcile you to God. In order to make a right relationship between you and God. He died in order to give you new life so that you wouldn't live that old life. He died to give you new hearts so that you would desire to glorify him and not desire to glorify yourself. He died to give us his Holy Spirit that we could, that we could live a, a God-glorifying life, that we would be empowered to do this. So if you're feeling that this morning, don't simply look to Jesus for his example. Come to Jesus. Come and receive salvation. Come and receive new life. If that's you, come and speak to me at the end or you can come to the cross and, and someone would love to pray for you. Would you stand as we respond?